0: It's Dr. Seuss Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm back together in the kitchen with the best co host in the business, my friend and colleague, Bliss Young.
1: Blizzness.
0: In the business. In the business. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> oh, no. So we're happy to be back with all of you guys. This is podcast number 204. All right. And I called it um, Coming Clean. All right. Because I had a picture of a baby getting its first bath.
1: I saw that cute little baby. There's a
0: cute picture. So you can reach us at askdrstu at gmail.com for comments or bliss at birthingbliss.com. Yep. Let's see, at birthingblissmidwifery on
1: Instagram, Instagram mm-hmm. and
0: at birthinginstincts on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I think that's enough.
1: That's enough.
0: My website is birthinginstincts.com.
1: Birthingbliss.com. There you go. With a Y.
0: Okay. So here we are back in the kitchen. It's really nice to be back with you. Um, I had
1: someone come for a workshop this weekend. She's like, this is where you record the podcast. It was so cute.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's our roof. There's your roof. I can see when you have some other things sometimes you do from your kitchen. So anyway, it's important. uh, I I wanted to just uh, bring uh, people up to date. Um, It's been a fairly busy week. Um, I was lucky enough to be involved uh, and asked to be part of a Welsh documentary for – The main topic was going to be the coronavirus vaccine in women of reproductive age. But boy, did we go off topic um, with Maxine, the um, the journalist. And we have a uh, photographer here today who's doing some shots and we did some recording beforehand. So he may kind of sneak back in and through the picture, hopefully not too often. But um, the interesting thing about the documentary is it's going to be in Welsh. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so you'll be subtitled I'll be subtitled yeah
0: this that the, the first, first time I've ever been subtitled I think I know that uh, Michelle Adant was subtitled <laughs> in, in um the business of being born
1: yeah because he was speaking but, English yes but you can't understand right because his accent is so strong. but I can't
0: wait to see what my words look like in Welsh because Welsh is such a different you know it's such a there's no vowels
1: it's not dubbed
0: oh I hope it's I don't think it's gonna be yeah, dubbed no I think it'll subtitles. be subtitled mm-hmm. okay um i have a couple things i wanted to just catch up with before we talk about some births that we've had mm-hmm. um the i don't want to talk political very often but there's one thing that really really bugged me and it was a tweet that came out from the la teachers union yesterday or the day before yesterday and the tweet said this okay friendly reminder to the it's the UTLA, so which i think that's the unified teachers of los angeles if you are planning any trips for spring break Please keep that off social media. It is hard to argue that it is unsafe for in-person instruction if parents and the public see vacation photos and international travel. So what's wrong with that message?
1: Um, it's like uh, double standard. I can't think it's, of that. It's, hypocritical. Un- it, it's
0: unbelievably hypocritical, yeah. okay? It's so dangerous you can't go back to school and teach, but. They're not saying, you know, you maybe want to think twice about your spring break. They're saying, if you go away for spring break, just don't post any pictures.
1: Yeah, misleading.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. so we, we have such hypocrisy going on, but this was just such a such an example of the hypocrisy that's happening in my state. I mean, other states have opened up. They're not having swarms of new cases. We're still closed here. We still don't have restaurants that are open. I hear
1: that's happening Sam. What is? in indoor dining, it's going to be happening Sam.
0: Soon. soon would have been probably last October, <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> not soon enough for you. No, not soon, enough, not soon and enough now. for the
0: restaurant owners.
1: No, exactly. Correct. Yes, right. correct.
0: And the, and the yoga studio owners and the nail salon owners and all these people that have suffered for, ultimately it's going to turn out to be one of the biggest, first it was an error or a bad judgment and then it became vindictive. It became purposeful, became evil, what they're doing, right? I mean, I watch hockey. You know I watch hockey?
1: I know you watch hockey.
0: The Arizona Coyotes, the Florida Panthers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Dallas Stars. They have people in their stands during the games. Okay. But we don't because we're still on purple. We're on purple level.
1: <laughs> um, so when they travel <laughs> around, could you go and see them somewhere else? Theoretically, theoretically. Yeah. I don't
0: know how hard it is to get a ticket, though, because... Theoretically, these places have ten or fifteen thousand season ticket holders, and they're letting in two or three thousand people. So, oh yeah, still uh,
1: distanced.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, and they're supposed to be wearing masks inside the stadium, but
1: they're not really enforcing it very much.
0: Okay. <laughs> right, and certain states have have said that we can't. We're not going to enforce the mask issue. You wear a mask if you mm-hmm. want to wear a mask.
1: Texas and who else? Florida. Florida. Mississippi. Mm-hmm.
0: So far, that and then probably other ones too. Those are the three that I've heard of. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense if you want to wear a mask and masks work fine wear your mask okay enough we've talked about coronavirus I just had to bring that up because I heard that and I have so many of my colleagues and my friends and my clients right. who's got who have kids who aren't in school
1: or if they are they're wearing masks which makes me feel really sad sitting with behind big plastic kids, yeah, yeah right wearing masks yeah I see them day. on
0: the trail I see these families yeah. with little five and six year olds four-year-olds wearing masks outside on the trail and I so Kindly want to say something to them, but you know, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't.
1: Stay in your own hulu, as we would say.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then and then my friend Brad Boots Taylor, who we all know and love in Atlanta. Yes.
1: You know, he's I my, hope we all know and love. He's
0: him. my kindred spirit. He I <laughs> he had a post that I saw this morning. And I just want to read a little bit from it. He said, I had a wonderful engaging and informative conversation with Dr. Bolante Sagati. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. She's an OBGYN and founder of the Birth Center for Natural birth, Natural birth in Forsyth, Georgia. This is one of three birth centers available in Georgia. So the whole state of Georgia has three birth centers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She has a podcast called Cocoa Podcast, if you guys want to check it out.
1: What's Cocoa stand
0: for? I don't know. Oh, okay. She's <laughs> African-American, so maybe that's why she...
1: Oh, maybe.
0: Maybe that's why she maybe. calls it Cocoa okay. Podcast. Maybe that's her nickname.
1: It's a cute little could be, name. Could I could like be, it. Could Coco. be
0: her nickname. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> maybe she's half, maybe she's mixed race, who knows?
1: Yeah, you know. I'll check it out.
0: White marshmallow, I don't know. I like marshmallows in my coat. <laughs>
1: Stop while you're ahead.
0: <laughs> okay. um, he says, at a first time visitor, I found the birth center to be beautiful, spacious and strong feelings that it provides in a sanctuary for mothers to labor unobtrusively, all right? So that's great. But the course, center, you know, the, the, the meat of anything is when you read the comments. And so I was reading the comments and it turns out that, that this birth center is only taking multips currently. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of questions about that. Why are they only taking multips? Why primates need it more? Why are you only taking multips? And I have answers to that. I don't know what Dr. Bogatti's answers might, or Belante's, excuse me, Dr. Belante Sagate's answers would be. But I understand that if they want a birth center in a state, that's really tough on birth centers, they want to have good data and good statistics. And you're going to have much better, lower transport rates, lower pro- complication rates when you use multips, than when you, do with, when you deal with primips. I know that Portland several years ago started a breach center and they only took multips in their breach center. Then they had a bad outcome, and they shut it down <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. But they only well, took-
1: They shut it down on their own or it was shut no, down? No,
0: no. The, the hospital shut it down. The Probably the risk managers and the lawyers and the administrators shut it down. Mm-hmm because they had one bad outcome, which is always a punch in the gut when you think about it, because if they have one bad outcome with a head down baby or one bad outcome with a cesarean section, they don't shut those down. Right. So, but they only took that because they wanted to have good statistics and they ended up having to shut it down anyway. So I understand the mentality behind it, but it is sort of bothersome, but I've come to that sort of conclusion myself. I, I at a future podcast, we're going to talk about a recent twin birth that I had. and everything came out okay, but, but all the things that went down on it. And it makes me rethink the idea that maybe I shouldn't reconsider the idea whether I'm doing primate twins versus multiple twins, because at my age, it's hard on my body. Mm-hmm. All right. To mm-hmm. go through some of the stresses that you can sometimes go through.
1: Well, the bottom line is, is that we are, um, we're autonomous. So if we, You know we can say no to any client that we want to say no to if you only wanted to take uh multiples that's totally within your prerogative or if you didn't necessarily like someone wanted to hire you but you didn't feel like it was a good fit personality wise you know you you can say no to that yeah Um, you
0: you can it's just that just that as a birth worker we both know that the ones that probably need our help the most to avoid all those interventions are the primates 100%.
1: 100%. Right. But you know, you get to you get to make those decisions for yourself, right? Yeah, but your heart is saying, you want to give those opportunities to people. And especially somebody like you who you know, the people, if someone wanted to hire a midwife, they have lots of options. If someone wanted to have a home birth with twins or breeches, they don't have as many options. So I think you feel um, you feel Like, it's your responsibility in some way to say yes to people, which is hard for you.
0: On a positive note, um, (laughs) the new physician in Southern California, Dr. Flores, Mm -hmm. who's opening a practice in the Inland Empire area, had her first home breach delivery. Yay, Dr. Flores! The other day.
1: Awesome. (laughs) I was
0: supposed to go just to, like, Mm -hmm. be there for her, Mm -hmm. but it was a precipitous multiple, And the baby just, by the time she got there, the baby was halfway out already.
1: Great. Love it. She said
0: it was really easy. So that's something. And then I would add that our friend um, Nathan Riley, who has the OB-Gyno-Wino podcast. Mm -hmm.
1: He's awesome.
0: um, He's in Kentucky right now. He and I had a phone conversation yesterday and he's thinking about, he's doing um, hospice work mostly, but he's thinking about, um, let me let Bree in here. He's thinking about um, backing midwives. Great. So another little little twig or little exactly. branch, little offshoot mm-hmm. is happening. Great. And so he asked me for, I mean, he asked me for, you know, about liability issues and stuff like that. So I sent him a copy of the relevant documents so that he can look at them and maybe come up with his own documents. I'm sharing with him just as 11 years ago, some midwife shared hers with mine. Mm-hmm. So Yay, um, with me. So that's Love great. It. These
1: right. are great.
0: Right. So he's going to have me on his podcast. I'll try to see if we can both go on.
1: Okay. That would be fun. If you'll have us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um I wanted to talk about some births. Mm-hmm. We had one that we were at together.
1: We did, and well, we're gonna have another. We have a I have a mom who's great who's decided to hire you, so we'll have another one. Yeah, you want
0: to talk you wanna say a little bit? Because I have some thoughts about that birth, but I want to hear yours first. Oh,
1: okay. Um she was a prime um, first time mom went to 42 and two. Um, She decided that she didn't want to do any interventions to get things going. Instead, she just wanted to, her and her husband wanted to bring Dr. Stu on the team so that she could just listen to her body. So she didn't have any, she didn't agree to any um, membrane sweeps. She came in and did her NS, her biophysical profiles. She Um, she
0: never even had a vaginal exam, did she? Until you didn't do it.
1: I did one one. before she got in the tub.
0: No, I mean, but, but all through her,
1: Pre-natal, Prenatal care. Yeah. I don't do vaginal exam. Yeah, yeah. No, right. she never had a vaginal exam, um, and um, and so I told Doctor Stu that she was an hour away, and I told him that I would just call him for the push. And you did. And I did. I said she's pushing, and he said, "Does that mean I should come?" I guess so. Because yeah. <laughs> You had a, almost an hour drive, right?
0: It was a little less because it was forty
1: five. It was in the middle something. of the night.
0: Yeah. It was what time was it?
1: I don't remember.
0: Like two in the morning, three in the morning.
1: Don't make me do that. With,
0: with some very, all babies, come at, don't all babies come at two in the morning. Haven't we said that over and over and over but again?
1: Not the one the other night. Um, you're, with you, yes, but I had another one a couple of days ago. No, later. they don't all
0: come at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and yeah, she had an absolutely beautiful
0: water brush. She did.
1: I think one of the things that was interesting about, about her delivery for me is she wanted to be on her back basically in the lithotomy position. She was pulling her legs back. She was yeah, on but, her back. Like her arms
0: were behind her. Yeah, and she yeah. was holding ah, on to like the that. tub. Yeah.
1: Um, and you know, I I don't tell a woman what position to be in unless um, you know, there's an issue with the baby or something. I did suggest maybe before you got there, yeah, um, that maybe when the baby was crowning, she might want it to turn to her side or bring her knees a little bit not so wide, because we've talked about that before on the podcast, because that causes the perineum to be really tight and can cause more. Mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, a deeper laceration. Um, but then we just let her follow her instincts. Yeah.
0: I remember it was 417 in the morning. So I, cause I got there like at 401. So I was there for like 16 That's minutes, right. about 16 <laughs> minutes, which is perfect. And then I want to ask you because it was such a beautiful delivery. It really was. I mean, you were controlling, you had your hand just off her bottom, just to protect the bottom. And then she got this little weird, little jagged, little teeny laceration. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was inevitable? Do you think the baby came out a little too fast? Do you think that it was an arm, a shoulder? Why, why, I, I'm wondering for, for people that are listening, you know, we do everything just right. And, and I've never seen people manage a perineum better than midwives do. I, re, I still remember in residency, there was one doctor. Um, I won't mention his name, but I would say that 80% of the time he got a fourth degree. And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. My fellow residents, my partner Howie, or um, well, Dave. Dave isn't around anymore. But but my partner Howie would, would back me up on that. That this guy got fourth degrees all the time. He had no idea what delivery of by flexion of, or by extension of the head meant,
1: mm-hmm. and the
0: baby would just blow itself out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So what do you, why do you think is it just inevitable sometimes?
1: Yeah, and you know what I've been thinking more about, like. I think that sometimes in the water, there's less of the ability for the fluid to help. Too totally I
0: think about that, right? it's, Like people think, like sex
1: in the water is kind of awkward. People sometimes. think
0: it's people think it's it's wetter, but it's actually the water is is actually drying. It's yeah. not it's not a slippery lubricant mm-hmm. like like you manufacture yourself, or if we even use some some uh, jelly or something like right. that.
1: So um, she did. It was small, but the way that it was approximating, it wasn't going to heal properly. So the reasons we normally do suturing is if it's bleeding, like any any other wound, you know, you want to stop the bleeding. Um, if it goes into the muscle, because muscle doesn't heal like tissue does, so it needs to, it needs be, to be brought together it needs to be brought together so it can heal. And then the other one is um, cosmetic. So if something's kind of. Flapping. And, that and was this was, a little, yeah, this
0: was something kind of flappy.
1: Yeah, it was a little flappy.
0: I mean, she had a little metal remnant that was sticking out. And so we wanted to bring that back inside.
1: Mm-hmm. And so right. I let, I, since, since Stu had come and basically took pictures for 15 minutes. I did. I was like, you can, you can do this. History. I videoed the birth you did and you got a
0: copy of it yeah it's it, was, beautiful. it was nice yeah. she
1: doesn't want to share it but it's nice that they have it it's really i was beautiful. for them yeah yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> too late i already posted it no I'm just <laughs> no, kidding i would do never do that
1: okay. yeah but it's always nice to have you around it
0: was great yeah you know i'm thinking about well i never go to a birth without a midwife anyway so it's for me it's i always have the midwife but you guys are often you know you're out there well you have a, your your colleague you got kim but mm-hmm. right but some midwives actually do it by themselves and i just never understand just the, even the, even the camaraderie, let alone the, the, like the necessity of, of having an assistant if you have a problem.
1: Yeah. And plus, right. you know, it, once you're tired and you're trying to do all the cleanup and all of that stuff yourself, it's just, it's, I don't think it's sustainable long-term. Cleanup? Cleanup.
0: Cleanup. Oh yeah. That part.
1: Cleanup. Yeah. I
0: help with that sometimes. <laughs> no, He's I like, don't. I'm going
1: to go. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, those, yeah. Cause those are, those are Dr. Stew on the couch packages. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm only there because of California law
1: which really, you know, I mean, if you think about it, this young couple, they're actually my son's age, which always interests me now, and I'm helping people that are my son's age. Yeah, Yeah.
0: they're the same age as my twins.
1: Yeah, Um, you know, they had to fork out several thousand dollars just because of California law. So you think about like, is that really supporting the family? Is that really in their best interest that they would have to be forced to go to the hospital and have care that they don't desire, or they have to pay money in order to have, you know, stew there. And they're not going to be able to get reimbursement for both of us.
0: No. Yeah. No, the only one can charge for the yeah. birth.
1: So it's not this is not a law that benefits me the woman. It doesn't benefit you. No, it benefits me. Oh <laughs> it benefits you.
0: Yeah, actually I secretly was in Sacramento back in twenty thirteen lobbying for this law. So so that I could make He's ex- not
1: he's not telling you the truth. No. That's not true. He's being no. sarcastic.
0: On Dr. Seuss' podcast, I always tell you the truth unless I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> right? That's right. I never I never lead people astray.
1: No.
0: Right. Yeah. I want people to get the information so that they can make an informed decision.
1: Right. Both of us do. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I, we talked last week a little bit about um, the vaccine in women of reproductive age, and I'm not going to go into that again, but somebody that I know, his girlfriend is going to get the vaccine, and I said to him, I said, do you, would you mind me having a conversation with her before she does it so that she, if she decides to do it, she's going in there with eyes wide open? Mm-hmm. And he said, he'll ask her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I would never put myself, would never say that to her. But if I can just give people information, I want yeah. people to have the information. For
1: everything. I am
0: concerned about that. So by the way, you just mentioned something about um, midwifery and everything that triggered. I have, I have this for later in the podcast, but I think I'll do it now.
1: Did you have births?
0: I had one birth, but I'm going to save it because You're it's sure. going to take a whole podcast to go through that one.
1: And I do want to go back to my other birth after this. Oh,
0: no. Go go back to your other birth first. Sure. Yeah, we're doing births first. Then I'll yeah. then I'll do this.
1: So I had a another uh, delivery a couple days later with a multip who had had a very long birth in the hospital. And at one point she said to me, she was having some emotions. And she said, you know, I'm really afraid that I'm not going to be able to do it because in the hospital, they told me at one point, you, you need an epidural. Basically, <laughs> they told her you're yeah. not coping well. Yeah. You just need to get an epidural. And sometimes it's true. Well, but I, don't they say it's, it. I don't think it's ever the, for someone else to decide. I think it's a very, that's a very disempowering context for the way well,
0: Yes. The way that was said would be yeah. disempowering. Yeah. I'm just saying that that sometimes needing an epidural is true.
1: Yes. Right. Yes. But, um, so, or a recommendation for one, but, you know, telling her that she wasn't going to be able to do it without an epidural, I think was really disempowering to her. So we talked her through it. She did, she did have a challenging time for sure with the intensity of labor. Um, but she ended up, we were in the tub and the tub wasn't working. This is just, I wanted to kind of share this, that sometimes what you think or what you see on Instagram or like, you know, she, she goes, they make it look so easy. I'm like, yeah, I know. Cause it's edited out, but this is really hard work. Well, and people,
0: people only post those sorts of Yeah, they only post bursts. what makes
1: them look like, you know. Hmm. Um. So, you know, the tub was really hard for her. She couldn't get grounded. So we tried the toilet that wasn't working either. And so I went and got the burst stool like two pushes. she got on the birth stool and the baby basically came out. Um, her husband was tending to the toddler who was not having a good time at the birth was like crying for over an hour and um, so he missed the delivery. And they didn't have a, another family They had their grand her mom there, the grandma, but he just just couldn't soothe the toddler. I think that you know it was one of those situations where we say like the toddler will probably be sleeping well, he stayed up long, longer than he probably should have. And, you know, then he was like overtired right. and his mom was not available to him. And so, yeah, it was, um, I felt really like my heart went out to them because it was, there was a lot of intensity that was going on in that moment. But she did tell me, she's like, bliss, why didn't you pull out the burst tool earlier? <laughs> she's like, that worked so well. And I was like, well, you
0: know, you know, it might not have worked so well if you'd done it earlier.
1: It might not have. It might
0: have been all the changing of position and things like that that suddenly the baby just decided to rotate or do something. It might anymore. not
1: have. And you know, I I'm always like following the woman's instinct, and I'm like, she's going to get that really strong urge to push. The baby's going to come down, and you know, but it didn't necessarily connect that way for her in her in what she was experiencing. So and I just what, thought it was nice. to And say what's different about the birth
0: work. stool than the toilet?
1: I think it's just my access to her maybe a little bit more um and you know they lean forward and put a lot i don't know if you guys can see me but you (laughs) lean forward and put your hands on the stool um so maybe that angle and then being able to still get underneath her but it works the downsides of um the stool is that sometimes you have more tearing and more bleeding so that's one of the reasons why i that is only that's been it. my
0: experience. Yeah. Right, I'm not a big fan of it, but that's also because I didn't use it for 30 years before I started yeah. my own birthing.
1: Care. I only use it when I really feel like that. You know, we're at that point where we either need to get the baby out or the mom really needs to feel uh, something different. So, yeah, yeah, and the, and then girl. yeah,
0: I just had the I had the, uh, your birth and then I had a twin birth, which I want to dissect and digest a little bit more. I had a postpartum visit with them yesterday. They're doing great. Home? Home. Okay, yeah, great. they're doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll tell that whole story. That'll be a whole podcast because there's so much about her that, that needs to be explored. And you need to go off on this tangent and that mm-hmm. tangent. I can't do it in just our little birth segment. So um, you said something when you were talking about the first person's birth that made me think of, of this thing what I had later, which written by um, a friend of uh, a friend of um, home birthing and a and a good guy Nicholas Rubashkin. I don't know if you know Nick. I do. Okay he's up in San Francisco.
1: Oh I'm going up there.
0: He was involved uh, a lot earlier um, when we were doing some documentaries and he was in I I haven't talked to him or heard from him in in years but um, he uh, when uh, Kristen Biscucci was doing with Birth Monopoly I think he was involved with that I'm I'm drawing a blank specifically, but he's a really good guy. And this was in Slate, uh, which is a website that posts articles and news, Mm slate.com. And he starts out like this. He says, oh, the title is I'm an obstetrician. Stop stigmatizing home births. Yes. We tend to think of them as needlessly risky, but things can go wrong in any setting. Things can go right in any setting, too. (laughs) I wish wish that his subtitle would have been. We tend to think it was risky, but things can go right in every in any setting. That would have been better, wouldn't it, don't you think? It'd
1: be great. All right. Send them a letter. And this
0: came out. This was put out at nine o'clock this morning. Oh uh, or no, March 9th, was that yesterday? Oh, that was mm-hmm. yesterday. Yesterday, in the fall of nineteen seventy-five, my mother pushed me into the world in our dining room while perched atop the communal birthing table, passed around for decades among the pregnant women of the remote island of Vinalhaven, Maine, where we lived. My parents' favorite song played in the background.
1: Birthing table. Birthing table. To envision
0: it. Yeah, To <laughs> it, I wonder, did it have like a little area to collect fluid or did it like, what was it like? I don't know. Nick, what was the birthing we table? We want to was? see a picture. Yeah, I want to see a picture of the birthing table. Every time my maternal grandmother called me on my birthday, she recounted the joy of witnessing her first birth, mm-hmm. my own. Even though she was the mother to nine children, she had given birth unconsciously to my mother and her siblings during the era of twilight sleep. Yeah. My mother was asleep when I was born. This probably explains a lot. (laughs) We should
1: dissect that sometime. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
0: I know. Oh, my God.
1: Pregnant pause. Uh,
0: My birth was a moment of intergenerational healing, and when we moved back to the mainland, my parents chose to birth my little brother at home. It's an uncommon origin story for an obstetrician. It is also the foundation of my belief that pregnant women and birthing individuals should have support from obstetricians to choose where and how they give birth. Yes. A planned home birth with a midwife is a safe option for low risk pregnancies and can limit unnecessary medical intervention. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now he says low risk pregnancies and I always cringe when I hear that term because low risk pregnancy is in the eyes of the beholder.
1: In some cases, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: It's yet, it's a vague undefined definition by people who like to see pregnancy as an illness being over 35 is a high risk pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Having hypothyroidism is a high-risk pregnancy.
1: Forty-two weeks.
0: Having lowish fluid makes it a high-risk pregnancy. <laughs> so all that stuff. So, you know, I I I would gently pull back on that description that he has, and I would specifically say because obviously th- people consider people with hypertension or breach or VBAC or twins to be high-risk pregnancies. Yeah. And yet I am showing, and, and midwives have shown over the over the generations that that's not that big a deal.
1: Well, twins and. And breach is a variation of normal. That, that's that been happening since the beginning of time. So, of course, midwives have been delivering Okay,
0: so there's a misconception both in my field and popular culture that to have a home birth is to deliberately forego proper care. The recent Netflix movie, Pieces of a Woman, which we reviewed in podcast mm-hmm. number 197, mm-hmm. um, opens one of the most riveting childbirth scenes ever captured on film. Martha, the character portrayed by Vanessa Kirby, loses her baby during a planned home birth. As Martha struggles with her loss, her mother compels her to testify in a wrongful death lawsuit against the midwife brought by the state. The film is richly nuanced reading of a mother's grief. It also highlights and in some ways perpetuates stigma that harms midwives and those they care for who deserve comfort and dignity when giving birth outside the hospital setting. The reality is that a planned home birth with a midwife is a safe option. It's essential for people in rural areas who lack hospital access, and it can limit medical, ne- unnecessary medical interventions. Mm-hmm. It can also be more supportive and comfortable option for women who face mistreatment at the hands of the US maternity system, which often fails to meet the complex and diverse needs of all Americans. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic at this time overwhelms hospital birthing units, not, not really so much anymore, but causing some to wonder whether more birthing services should be thoughtfully moved into the community. Some hospitals restrict the number of visitors who can attend birth, which we know is true, adding yet another compelling reason why people may prefer to give birth at home. Midwives are extensively trained, skilled professionals who in the best of circumstances work in collaboration with OBs and hospitals to manage emergencies, something that pieces of a woman harrowing birth scene obscures. You had no concept that there was any sort of backup or there was a collaborative collaboration, anything like that. They just put these midwives out there and they make them look like, yeah, and of really course, you and, I, you and I thought that that midwife, other than not carrying a lot of supplies into the room, seemed like she was nurturing and caring and seemed to do a very good job mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. portrayed her very well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so I'm going to skip down to a little bit, but he's, he says, while we don't know the outcome of the legal case in, in the Pieces uh, uh, Netflix movie, uh, we do know the outcome of a film that which it is based, which is that of Hungarian obstetrician turned midwife Agnes Gareb. Many of you might know who she is. If you haven't, you should really look into her story. Um, he says, Garab built a thriving home birth practice in the city of um, Budapest. And over the course of her career, experienced three perinatal losses during home births. That was many, many years in, in her career. Um, the obstetric, obstetric profession pursued gareb with criminal charges for these stillbirths. In 2010, she was convicted of negligent homicide. Gurev ultimately spent four years under house arrest and is restricted from practicing midwifery until 2022. So she's a doctor who gave up her doctoring to become a midwife and practice as a midwife. And our friend, um, one of her clients sued in the, in the, um, in the International Court of Human Rights, represented by our friend Hermine Hayes Klein, mm-hmm. um, for the right to have a home birth because in, in Hungary, I believe, it's illegal. it was They made it illegal. So she sued for that right um, and won, although of course that's not a binding decision, the International Court of Human Rights mm-hmm. in The Hague, I think. Um, Let's see, in the United States, midwives have recently been subject to criminal prosecution in part due to our inheritance of a patchwork of state-by-state regulations that themselves were a response to the near extinguishment of midwifery as a profession. This heavy-handed approach can have chilling effect creating an unfriendly, unsafe environment for people to practice. We all know that, Mm -hmm. okay. I cannot help but contrast these midwives treatment with my own experience. 40 years after my own home birth, I was working as a practicing obstetrician in a hospital in San Francisco. I accepted a transfer of a woman who attempted a home birth and eventually needed an emergency cesarean. Sadly, her baby's health declined immediately after the birth and eventually died. Everyone involved was devastated and heartbroken. In the aftermath, we all searched for answers. I still do. Mm -hmm. When such a tragedy happens under the care of an OBGYN, it is often treated as a risk of the profession. When a midwife is in charge, especially in a home birth, people are quick to cast blame and assume they made a grave error. In the hospital, I had access to legally protected and confidential peer review where the entire clinical team could debrief the event and implement process improvements. If I were a midwife, I may well have been faced criminal charges, right?
1: Yeah, we know this.
0: Same outcome, different location, treated completely differently. Yeah. We always say that. I mean, we've talked about that many times on the podcast that that the NICU is filled with babies whose mothers came into the hospital with healthy babies inside of them And the babies ended up in the NICU, and that's considered standard of care. But if a baby comes from a home birth and ends up in the NICU, that Mm -hmm. mother was stupid.
1: Negligent. Yeah, and the the midwife
0: must have screwed up. And Mm -hmm. let's badmouth the midwife. Let's Mm -hmm. do those things. So, um, ultimately, pregnant women and birthing individuals get the best care when midwives are respected and integrated and not marginalized from the medical system. My fellow, how many times have I said that? Does that sound like me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a kindred spirit.
1: Yes. Yeah. So Bradman Taylor, Nicholas
0: Rubashkin, thank you. We need more of them. Uh, my fellow obstetricians must see midwives as partners in providing the safe care that our patients deserve. The stigma against home birth is unwarranted and it ultimately deprives people of the supportive birth experience they deserve.
1: Absolutely. I like it. Right.
0: So here's and a. He doesn't
1: really talk about, like, you know, internationally the statistics. Are much better when midwives and and doctors work collaboratively, and midwives care for low risk moms. Although we have to define what low risk means, and um, and then doctors are take over for the women who are not low risk.
0: Right. Contrast. Contrast. By the way, Nick is I, I, he's not a maternal fetal medicine specialist, but he's you know he's well regarded. Um, he's either at Stanford or UCSF or something like that, and so. You know, it's not it's it's not like Doctor Stew out on the farm or anything like that. I mean, he's got like lots of little credentials after mm-hmm, his name. Mm-hmm. Contrast the way he talks about home birth and midwives versus the the two um, <laughs> the two guys uh, from the East Coast, the Amos and Frank show <laughs> from the East Coast, who can do nothing but bad mouth midwifery, badmouth home birth, um, and they make it harder and harder for women to get the care that they may want because. These are the people, not Nick Lubashkin who is, who are advising state legislatures mm-hmm. and things. These guys from Cornell, because they've made a, um, a career out of being an unethical, uh, self-proclaimed ethicist. Um, and because they have letters and degrees behind their names, they get uh, asked to do these sort of, these, sort of, these sort of things. I'm hoping we have more Stuart Fishbines, Brad Boots-Taylor's, and Nick, Nick Rabashkin's in the future being asked to testify at a Senate hearing or a state legislature hearing or something of that nature.
1: Right. Yeah. Do you think that um, they legislate things like this because they don't trust that women can make a smart decision?
0: I think that it's, a, it's part of it, but I ultimately think that it's not really, they're not really even thinking about the women themselves. I think they're thinking about they have delusions of grandeur, and they and they, it's an economic and a um, and a, just a power sense of power mm-hmm. of controlling something that they're important.
1: And women need to be protected and can't think for themselves, so therefore we have to have legislature.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the they're hiding behind the facade of safety.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they are. They're using that old canard yeah to um you know safety first safety third that whole thing that we have talked about before right so anyway i I just thought that this was you know these things pop up on my feed and i and i cut them out and this was a good one because because i know him first Mm -hmm. of all which is kind of cool and secondly uh he's right these things good things can happen in any location as can bad things
1: yeah
0: but it doesn't necessarily imply negligence and it really we should be able to make the choices. I was talking to the people from the Welsh uh, documentary earlier today. I'm, 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 I'm amazed at all the gadgets he's got. He's got all these <laughs> little gadgets around here that are staring us in the face. But, cause he's, he's sneaking around, he's like very sneaky. Um, but we were talking about that. We were talking about um, uh, these, well now I forgot, I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? Remember
1: about the um, whether or not it's safe to do. Oh, best. safety. Yeah,
0: great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a flight of ideas now. I need to take my hell doll when I'm get, when i done here. Okay. No. Um, yeah, it's a safety thing. Um, so you know, when when use safety as the safety first thing, then common sense goes out the window sometimes. And and ultimately, safety should be something that's decided by the individual. Do I want to go rock climbing or do I not want to go rock climbing? Do I want to wear a mask? Do I not want to wear a mask? Do I want to have a home birth? Do I not want to have a home birth? Do I want to drive uh, a motorcycle or do I not want to drive a motorcycle? Right. Okay. These are risks that in a free country, which maybe we're rapidly losing, but in a free country, um, we should be able to make these decisions. We should not have power brokers making them for us. Exactly. My body, my choice.
1: Yep. Yep. Hundred percent.
0: Right. Okay. Anything on your mind? Because I got letters now. I'm um, moving on to
1: letters. Yeah, I do have one thing I want to share. All right. So you know, last time I was talking about um, our classes, the innate journey classes. Yes. That we've been yes. Doing. So nice hey, picture,
0: by the way. You have a nice picture posted on
1: of the of the women of the, together in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. In the kitchen. Right. Um, the best lighting in here. Uh, but we did a, 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 professional innate journey workshop. Our first one. Um, it was so powerful. I just wanted to read what one of the women said, please. Yeah. Um, she says, I have so much to be grateful for in this moment. All I've been able to do for the last 13 hours is just to be at my altar space and talk to spirit. I cried for hours last night between laughing, eating curry, Talking to the ancestors and speaking to my consciousness in in the womb. I know that some of this is going to be a little cauldron for you, but stay with me.
0: Oh, well, I'm. I, but you know what? I was already like, you, yeah. I was I was going with it.
1: Great. So um, this is the pivotal moment in my healing journey where I really feel connected to Goddess. The birth work training I experienced yesterday with Hayes and Bliss. She says our names, our uh, handles, but whatever. Um, In their shamanic birth medicine, the innate journey has forever changed me. I will never be the same. I will never give up because no woman should feel lost, defeated or confused when bringing life into this world. No woman should be dying at birth due to lack of nutrition or water. I wept the pain of the womb for hours last night because I don't want my sisters to suffer anymore. I went deeper into my shadow work last night, anchoring forgiveness for my mother I was able to travel to those moments before I took my first breath. I could feel all her, her fear, pain, and mental chaos. She was felt, she felt defeated. She took a bus to the hospital to deliver me with my brother while she was on the bus, her water broke. My father was in his narcissistic world, an abusive addict, and didn't want to drive my mother and didn't show up to hold her during the shift. I was able to clear some of he- some heavy ancestral wound- wounds last night, and I am forever grateful. I opened myself to what the divine has in store for me because I definitely felt initiated last night. I pray we find compassion for women. I pray we protect our women and children. I pray that the goddess frequency rises more every day. We are warriors. We are creators. We are magic. We are love. Thank you to all the women who participated today, all the deja vus we are remembering together. I love you.
0: Right, she had me had uh, eating curry. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. No, Isn't um, that amazing. Yeah, it is amazing, and it makes me when I when I'm listening to her words, I'm thinking about all the women who have had those moments stripped from them—the one that she described, but all the ones that I think about, all the consults I've done over the years, hearing. You know, we have the we haven't made it official yet, but we have the dumb doctor segment or the dumb. Quote segment or something like that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And all the dumb things that the people have been told, and all the the um, the beauty and the the uh, magic of it has been stripped away by the medical model sometimes, and and women are left feeling empty.
1: And and your doctor friend mentioned it in his article mm-hmm. about the ancestral healing of him for his and, grandmother. Yes. Yes. And I see that, I see these women who have birthed children who have no connection still of like what it looks like for a woman to birth physiologically. And it does heal something inside of them as well when they can see like this, that we are made to do this. Yeah, I
0: mean, it reminds me of the woman in the, in the Heads Up Reach documentary who ended up having to have a general anesthesia for a baby that was almost falling out. And uh, shaking the, la- the last sentence, of her, her segment, she says, I have no memory of his birth
1: <sighs>
0: because she was put out.
1: Yeah. It's horrible. Right. Yeah.
0: And then women who are completely numb, don't feel it. Now some women that's a godsend.
1: Yeah. Some women totally, want that. Totally understand yeah. that. And that should be a choice. Like but other, but other about. women,
0: you know, are deprived of that sensation, that feeling yeah, And it's got to be really intense. I mean, I mean to have your bottom stretched like that <laughs> and that burning and they all get it because that's what your skin does when it gets stretched like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the wonder that I see when I watch birth of a woman who's exhausted and struggling and maybe totally within herself or maybe yelling and whatever. And baby comes out and they take a second and then suddenly they're like, and their whole face lights up, and the, and it, it, the demeanor just changes dramatically. And it's this, the life cycle that makes that happen.
1: Yeah. You yeah. know what I love is that moment when they immediately start caring for their baby. Yep. You know, it, it may take, take
0: a few it. seconds.
1: Yeah. But then they're like, hi, I love yeah. you. How are you? They're rubbing them and kissing right. them. And yeah, it's beautiful yeah. to witness. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And so many women are deprived of that.
1: So many babies are deprived the, oh, the
0: babies. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Because, because in the standard, what I did for 20 some years in the hospital setting was, you know, put on my full hazmat suit, put a woman in the thotomy position, cover her up in sterile drapes, wash her bottom off with iodine. Baby comes out, hold the baby in one arm, clamp, clamp, cut, show the baby to the mom and, the, and walk it over to the warmer on the other side the the of the room.
1: Out. Suture them and then go home,
0: right? Yeah, but I'm just talking about
1: the baby. The
0: baby, the whole idea, the disconnect. Of, yeah. of well, here's your baby, but we're gonna. We're, it's not your baby actually until the nurse. Just nurses, wait a minute. Yeah, wait a minute. The nurses <laughs> have to deal their thing first, right? God. Ah. All right. All right. So um, I did tell, I did promise Jennifer C that I would get to her letter today, and uh, we better do it right now because we're gonna Let's run out Let's do it of time.
1: right now. I did read it. So,
0: yeah, I sent right. it. I sent it. I think I forwarded yep. it to you or my response to her. So Jennifer C. writes, uh, where is she from? Uh, I forgot where she's from. Oh, That's well, okay. doesn't matter. Uh, Sorry, hi, Dr. Stu. Know. She writes me at askdrstu at gmail.com, which you guys can write. And I respond to every letter and occasionally sometimes we'll just read them. But he says, just wanted to start off by saying that I appreciate I love when people start off by saying how much they appreciate you and me.
1: <laughs> start <laughs> your letters that way. Yeah, okay? everybody starts we their like letter it. that
0: way. <laughs> Even if <laughs> you want to yell at us. Okay. I uh, appreciate you and Bliss so so in capitals mm-hmm. much that it brings me faith that there are doctors and caregivers like you that exist in the American medical system. I look forward to your episodes every week and can't tell you how refreshing your outlook on common sense and life in general speaks to me. I'm a millennial from California. Oh, poor thing. Uh, Which I did
1: love that she said that. Yeah.
0: So there is still faith. (laughs) Ha ha. I'm 30 years old and 30 weeks pregnant with my first baby boy. I have fallen into going through a traditional doctor slash hospital birth, but I am much interested in maybe birth center or home birth in my next one after learning more from you both.
1: Not too late at 30 weeks, by the way, you could still switch.
0: Right. And she could, but we're going to get into why she doesn't think she can. Yeah. I would love your take on a current situation I'm in. At my 28-week appointment, I had a high blood pressure reading of 150 over 110, which of course is high. Which is high. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they decided to send me to labor and delivery section of the hospital to get monitored. There was no protein in my urine. Naturally, I was pretty freaked out. Being alone, husband cannot go to appointments.
1: Because of COVID. Mm -hmm.
0: No, because of the response to COVID. Yes. COVID, nothing in the COVID vaccine DNA says, oh, and by the way, husbands can't go to.
1: Yes, yes. because of the absurdity. Yes, yes let's, I get let's it. go there. Okay.
0: And hearing that I needed to go to labor and delivery immediately. So he was, she was pretty freaked out. Yeah. For context, I work in finance at a high stress job. And for the past month have been covering for someone else, basically working two jobs. On top of that, have been having some heated conversations in my family earlier that day that probably had me on edge. Also, my blood pressure is always elevated when I go to the doctors. I tend to have that white coat syndrome. We just we just had somebody in our practice who took her own blood pressures I, at I, home
1: yeah.
0: and then would take a picture of the machine and send it yeah. to us. Right.
1: I have them do a video, but yeah.
0: Oh, so you can prove that it's actually their blood pressure. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I was more trusting than that. They want If they want to lie to me, then they can lie to me. So that's fine. <laughs> Once at the hospital, they started monitoring the baby. Everything looked good taking my blood pressure every 15 minutes, which is protocol, but sort of doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to me. The definition of hypertension in pregnancy is elevated blood pressures above a certain number, six hours apart. Correct. Right. So taking your blood pressure every 15 minutes. 40
1: over 90? Minutes, yeah, Ours, it, that's yeah. technically,
0: one, yeah. Yeah, those are numbers, but, um, <laughs> but they were doing it every 15 minutes, which yeah. was still high between 140s to 150s on the systolic. They took my urine sample again, no protein. The doctor ordered blood tests, but in the meantime had made the call that I should be put on labetalol and get a beta injection injection. So
1: she's
0: 20. I don't know the beta method Steroid. Oh, oh, oh for and the lungs. Because obviously she's going to need to be delivered very quickly yeah. or prematurely. Yeah. Is the thought process. All right. So they're thinking, you know, if, if, if we have to deliver her within the next 48 hours, we want to give her the, this, or with after 48 hours, we want to give her steroids because it gives the baby a better chance. Yeah. I wouldn't go there anymore because I think that you can control that if her labs came back normal and she didn't have severe preeclampsia and all she had was hypertension, I wouldn't have done that, but the risk benefit ratio in that scenario. Okay. I could, I could, I could see that that's the way they think that's fine. We don't know. We don't think that there's any significant downside to giving, um, uh, beta Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I asked to wait until they got my blood test, but so she asked to wait, and to have a moment to look into beta methazone and the beta before I was given any medication. Good for you. All right. Meanwhile, my blood test came back normal. The doctor came in and basically said that I was beginning of the preeclampsia spectrum and that it was most likely going to develop as my pregnancy progressed, and it was super important to get the steroid shot now for the baby's lung development. Okay. It's a little hyperbole. All right. They do consider pregnancy-induced hypertension now to be on the spectrum of preeclampsia used to be there was something it was a separate diagnosis yeah
1: but i i I tend to disagree too what that there is actually pregnancy-induced hypertension that does not lead to preeclampsia
0: yes i do too but but now the powers that be have made it one okay Mm -hmm. so but there's no evidence at this point and they hadn't even finished the workup yet had they Is the baby's growth okay? Is the baby's amniotic food okay? Does the baby have any evidence of vascular problems or does mom have uterine artery notching? None of that stuff, as far as I know, has been evaluated. Um, She had me stay for 24 hours in the hospital to collect my urine.
1: Yeah, she could have gone home to do it. We do that that at home.
0: Okay, but I don't think that that the medical model knows that. I think that they are uh, erring on the side of safety and caution and they're keeping her there. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I don't know what the entire environment was, but everything she's telling me says that, so yeah, she had hypertension. That. She could have gone home on blood pressure medication. She could take her blood pressure at home. She could come back to the office in a day or two and see what she's doing, all that stuff. But they kept her in the hospital, probably separated from her family yeah, for 24 hours. Yeah. Okay. She also said that the plan going forward would be to, to be, have an NST test two times per week, blood tests every two weeks, and a monthly ultrasound to check on baby's growth. And lastly, to induce me at 37 weeks to avoid getting to severe preeclampsia. So here's the deal. First, she's saying that we want to give you steroids because you might not make it very far, which I understand. And it's not a complete conflict with the idea that now they're saying you might make it to 37 weeks and we'll have to induce you. And we're going to be testing you every two weeks and blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, she's just giving all the scenarios. And this is. Um, Jennifer's interpretation of it, okay? Yep. Getting induced at 37 weeks made me very uncomfortable given that it is not full term. I understand the danger if I do develop preeclampsia that it makes sense. However, I asked the doctor again today at my 30 week appointment, that if everything stays constant and my blood pressure and blood tests remain good up to 36 to 37 weeks, if they would consider letting me go past 37 weeks, and she said, no.
1: I- the consider letting me go past is the part that really, I mean.
0: What bothers you most about that?
1: Because you're asking permission for your own baby and for your own body. And I, I'm not blaming you for that. I'm saying that that is, that's how it's set up, that you feel like you have to ask permission. But um, I, the questions that you're asking are perfectly reasonable. And if you were in either one of our care, maybe the 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 testing that they're requesting would be reasonable um, you know, to, to check the blood work and to continue to check on the baby. But if all of those stayed within a normal range, you have the right to have your baby when your baby is ready to come.
0: And you have the right to seek second opinion.
1: Or to get a different kind of care. So what I would recommend for you right. is to um look at um the brewer's diet. Um which we talk a lot about in terms of twins, but it's very, very high protein. And from a midwifery perspective, um, you wanna make sure that you're, uh, to avoid preeclampsia, you wanna have lots and lots and lots of protein. Um, There's also um, herbs that you can take for blood pressure. Um, If you want to send me a message at uh, Bliss at Birthing Bliss, I can send you some recommendations for um, lifestyle changes for, trying to see if you can lower your blood pressure, but if you're on the beta law and your and your blood pressure is normal and you, all of your lab work comes back normal, I say advocate or get a second, uh, opinion of someone who will support you with your, yeah, find, find, a, find
0: a supportive practitioner. If she's going yeah. to be, cause if you say no to her 37 week induction, oh. she's going to want to, she's going to be start to be nervous. She's the doctor herself is going to get nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, before I finish the rest of the letter, um, I did print out this, and this is maybe something Bliss has something similar, but I'll just read it real quickly into the record here. Um, there are many ways to lower blood pressure naturally during the pregnancy period. These tools are intended to be used with a, concomit- a committed exercise program and a high protein diet. Um, using the herbs passion flower, hops, skullcap, valerian. Well, you should probably read this because this is cauldron stuff.
1: You're so funny. But, uh, um, uh, dandelion leaf. <laughs> Um, Hawthorne berries, watermelon and cucumber juices, um, you know, exercises, visualization and meditation, just to kind of lower your stress levels. Um, she talks about cream of tartar, uh, magnesium definitely is one magnesium, calcium, um, every day you sea salt on your food. Uh, you know, eat really well, avoid um, sodas, flowers, white uh, sugar, all of that kind of stuff. Nothing with dyes, colors, or food preservatives. Um, using some homeopathic, uh, baryata carbonica. 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 Um, go see an acupuncturist, uh, Reiki practitioner. Uh, garlic, parsley, and onions in large quantities um, can also be used.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you this. You might be too, you know, you may already be doing some of these things, but, but I will, uh, uh, send you that handout, Jennifer. Okay.
1: And lower your stress. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stop working. That's yeah. If, or it, if you can you to eliminate the stress because the reality is even if you can get your blood pressure, under control when you're at home, those times when you have those huge spikes from being stressed out, it still has an effect on your body. You're putting a lot of pressure on your heart. Um, So you need to, that's the number one thing is, is getting the stress under control for yourself.
0: Yeah. She says she's taking a little now, hundred milligrams twice a day, which is actually quite a low dose. Um, And blood pressures have been running the 110 to 130 over 80 to over 80 range, which is perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the, what is best for me and baby, but something has me take pause at the strict protocol of inducing 37 weeks, no matter what. I apologize for the lengthy email, but would love to hear what you think. All right. So, and if you think it's worth visiting another doctor for a second opinion. We uh, do. Yeah, we do.
1: We do. And but, hopefully you can find someone who will support you. But it needs you.
0: to be someone outside the circle of your current physician, because we've talked about this before. It's very difficult for doctors who get referrals from your physician to give a second opinion that countermands what your physician wants to do doctors often won't do that especially because then they know that if they do that they'll lose that referral source yeah so you need to find somebody outside of that and um, go
1: and go talk to a really skilled midwife, midwife in your area you know she may be willing to work with you and if you can keep it under control have the delivery that you're desiring if you can't keep it under control then it's appropriate for yeah and
0: for deliver. some midwives it might be out of their scope of practice if you're on an anti-hypertensive medication they may not be able to do that but but there are, you know, it depends where, what, what part of the country or where you live. But if you live in an area where they, you have other options. Look into them. Yeah, I would really look into. And
1: that. she says sending hugs, so we send hugs.
0: back. Hugs back. Well, I guess we're out of time.
1: We're out of time.
0: How did that happen?
1: Next week, come back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so um, this has been an interesting podcast because we've had uh... a creeper, <laughs> <laughs> and we have Eddie's
1: no, you've been lovely. I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> yes. Ed is, is uh, from, he's of European descent. That's all I got out of him earlier. Um, and he's been walking around filming us the whole time. So anyway, this has been uh, Dr. Stu's podcast number 204, Coming Clean. And uh, we know that for those of you that stayed with us today, uh, Bree, Tiffany, Suzanne, Jen, Alicia, Danny, Bethany, uh, we really appreciate the fact that you did with well- are with us live we know that all of you whether you're going to listen to us live or you're going to follow us on rumble and eventually back to the podcast app that you have many hours in your day to do other things that the fact that you give us an hour a week of your time is very much appreciated and we look forward to keeping you entertained and educated um and until next time this is again the dr sue's podcast number two,
1: 204 bye.